The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed in the program do not necessarily reflect those of WTVA or its sister station, WLOV. It is not a production of WTVA 9 News. Helicopter search missions continued this afternoon. Chief Billy White says officers have questioned neighbors and no one saw anything unusual at the 105 Honey Locust residence between 7.30 and 8.30 yesterday morning. Blood was found in three different locations throughout the house, the daughter's bedroom, the hallway, and the kitchen. 13-year-old Leochi had simply vanished from her home in Tupelo. Her mother called police. Detectives investigated. Lee's father took leave of his military duties to come to Tupelo and try and beef up search efforts. Is the other side of the family, meaning um, Lee's mother and, and stepfather, are they going to join you all in any of these searches? Have you heard? Not that I'm aware of. If they did it, if they do, it's going to be a surprise to me. Now, what may or may not come across in that audio you just heard? Have you heard? Not that I'm aware of is that Donald Ochi, father of the missing girl, actually laughs, is seemingly amused by the suggestion that Lee's mother Vicky and stepfather Barney would help look for Lee. Could it be that Mr. Ochi was already in agreement with countless voices in North Mississippi echoing in hushed tones speculating that Lee's own mother brought about her demise? Did he, like many others, believe Lee's eyeglasses delivered to Lee's home were actually sent by the mother in order to divert investigators from the real guilty party? Only one person can really speak to those questions. That's Donald Ochi himself. So I contacted him 25 years after his daughter slipped away or was taken from him. And as it turns out, he's not the kind of fellow who is afraid to speak his mind. They came on foot, on horseback, and on wheels. Some came from as far away as Tallahatchie County to look for any sign of the ocean. I know, we saw it on, on a news last night that they were asking for volunteers. studio in the All-America City. This is 13, The Search for Lee Ochi. Hey, before we get to Donald Ochi, remember that thing I said early on about it being time to let the dogs loose? Yeah. It uh, stems back to my experience with the FBI as a profiler and then a, uh, a manager of the uh, Violent Criminal Apprehension Program and also a, a supervisor of the uh, 
profiling unit or criminal investigative analysis unit, as we called it then. It's now referred to, I think, as behavioral science unit. But uh, in recognizing the, the level of uh, homicide throughout the country, missing persons and unidentified bodies, uh, it was quite apparent to us that there was a real serious issue considering that law enforcement solves maybe 60%, 65% of homicides in the country. But when you look at the numbers, we have on the average probably 17, 18,000, sometimes more, sometimes less, homicides per year. That leaves several thousand homicides per year that accumulates annually of unsolved homicides. And uh, many of these homicides are occurring in medium-sized to smaller jurisdictions that simply don't have the resources to address them um, as efficiently as they would like to, meaning as, as timely as they would like to. Sometimes they don't have the breadth and depth of experience uh, based upon that, and uh, they need additional resources to participate. How did you um, kind of go about assembling your team? A lot of times what will happen is a guy will retire, you know, male or female officer will retire. Um, they've got tremendous knowledge and resources uh, if you look at their history, but, you know, what do they do? They're, they're not ready to go out. They don't want to go out and open up a shop somewhere. So a lot of them will get out and kind of surf the net and all of a sudden they find us. Me? I'm just a dude. These guys? Well, let's just say we've called in the big guns and they are interested in this case as well. You'll be hearing from them quite a bit later on. For now, back to my conversation with Donald Ochi. Most of us are fortunate. Most of us can only imagine what it must be like to lose a child. And losing a child the way Donald Ochi lost his, that's just compounding devastation. But Mr. Ochi was outspoken in the days following Lee Ochi's disappearance. And he is still willing to speak out now. He is well aware of the rumors, of the theories that his ex-wife Vicky was responsible for their daughter's death. The truth is, he's never really done anything to combat or quiet those rumors. When I spoke with him on the phone, I first asked how he and Vicky met all those years ago. Joined the Army when I was 17. Uh, stayed in for 24 years. I was in the infantry. I was stationed in Fort Ord, California. She was going to the uh, Defense Language Institute School, which is uh, in Monterey, right out it's a couple of miles away from Fort Worth, and I met her there at a movie. As Vicky Ochi remains somewhat enigmatic, I asked Donald to describe her for us. What was she like? Exceptionally smart. When she was in school, she was from Tecumseh, Michigan. She scored the highest score in Michigan history on French, French language. She was warm enough, nice enough. 
she had a sense of humor. Uh, very uh, neat person, you know, like in her house and stuff. So you guys got married when? In uh, uh, 1978, I think. We got married. She got sent to Hawaii. And then I submitted paperwork for joint domicile. So I got sent over to Hawaii, and, uh, you know, we rented a house, started all the household stuff that married people do, mm-hmm. and she got pregnant. I was thrilled. I always wanted my own family. The arrival of the bouncing baby girl they named Lee Marine was not enough to sustain Donald and Vicky's marriage. So how old was Lee when the split took place? She was maybe... Eight or nine months, I guess, maybe a year. Still just a baby when the family disintegrated. I asked Donald about the relationship he had with his daughter post-divorce. I didn't see her very much. Uh, I went from Hawaii to uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and then to Fort Bliss, Texas, and then to Germany for five years. So I didn't see her very much during that time period. She came and spent a summer in Germany. By that time, I was remarried, and we we had her for a summer in Germany, and that was a that was a lot of fun. Then when I came back to the states, I was sent to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is not too terribly far from Tupelo, Mississippi, and so I got to see her a little bit more. But because I was in a rapid deployment unit. I didn't see her as much as I wanted to. How were you informed that Lee had gone missing? The day after her, she was reported missing, her mother called me and said Lee ran away. And I said, well, 13-year-olds don't run away. For you know, She's probably with a friend or something. And I told Vicky to keep looking and uh, get a hold of all of her friends and all that. And I asked her why would she run away, and she, well, I don't know, I, I don't know all this crap. Some people have questioned why it took Donald Ochi so long to show up in Tupelo, even considering his military duties. Mr. Ochi has an answer for that, which doesn't exactly place Vicky in a positive light. I call her mother every day, and then on, I think it was Friday. I was talking to her mother, and I said, well, what have you guys found out? You know, what's going on with this? She said, well, when she disappeared, there was blood everywhere. That's not a runaway. You know, and you you have misled me for days. I asked for leave, and I got it, and I headed down there right away. And when Donald got to Tupelo? First thing I did was met with the police officers. I didn't want to talk to her. I wanted to talk to the police. I wanted to see what they were doing. You know, all she could do is tell me some bullshit. And uh, she's not real good at telling the truth to me. Again, not exactly a glowing endorsement of his ex-wife. But lying is one thing, right? Surely he didn't think Vicky would have hurt Lee. Some of Lee's friends from school, they, they remember her showing signs of some physical abuse. Do you 
you believe that that her mother was capable of that? Her mother was capable of that. I came right out and asked Donald Ochi what he believed happened on August 27th, 1992. I believe she was murdered accidentally or intentionally inside her house. Maybe somebody got real mad at her and knocked her against the door frame into the lift, into the kitchen, and she died from it. Somebody, somebody got real mad at her. The opinion of Lee's father is that someone, in anger, attacked her, bloodied her, killed her, and hid her away in a place as yet undiscovered. I asked Donald about the last time he saw and spent time with his daughter. We spent three days together. She used to like to drive on the back roads when it was muddy and rainy and stuff. We would do that, drive real fast, real stupid, but we enjoyed it. I had a motel room and she stayed in the room with me. When we return, a familiar voice in a way You've never quite heard it before. I mean, I can say this, and now that I'm not in the news media anymore, I can say from a personal perspective that um, from the moment I got a few details about the case, it seemed pretty evident that we were not looking at a disappearance, but we were looking at a murder. Hey guys, if you like this podcast, you may be interested to know about some others from WTVA Podcasts, currently available on iTunes and at WTVA.com. One of them is a rather intimidating gathering of ladies from different age brackets and perspectives. It is called Real Talk Tupelo, and they break down local stories from North Mississippi. It can be fun. Like, yeah, someone should have just sat her down. And her poor friend in the video standing behind her. It can get real. That's it. I just, I'm not going to sway from it. I'm sick of it. And it's all moderated by actress, writer, and improv artist extraordinaire, West of Shake Rags, Casey Dillard. And with the pleasantries done with, let's talk about meth babies. So go and find Real Talk Tupelo. One of the most well-remembered beloved news anchors ever to work in Mississippi is a lady who went by two names over the course of her career, Kathy Nash and Kathy Coggin. With help from my associates Jim Bob Bruce and Josh Ward, I recently put together a 60th anniversary special for WTVA. Here's some audio from the segment on Kathy. Back in the 80s, she was the queen of news in North Mississippi. She could anchor news and cover news as well as anybody that I ever knew. I think the community adored her. A real pro, and everybody said, boy, she's pretty. I used to say, yeah, she's pretty. Uh, I think I could talk to her maybe. I can remember when she had back in the old days where it was like uh, she would invite some of the folks from the TV station to come on by on a Saturday afternoon and they would have the crawfish. Had a lot of talent too. A lot of people didn't know Kathy could sing and play guitar. She was the flower child. She went through these different phases and she was a great news person. We should always be so thankful to Kathy for what she brought to the table, not only in the experience of journalism as a, as a reporter as well as an anchor, that 
kind of professionalism that only she could have brought that helped make us all complete in a team. How would you describe the connection you had with the viewers in Tupelo and the rest of the region? Um, I um, felt a lot of love from all of North Mississippi. People were so gracious and so nice to me, and I'll never forget their kindness. And I never had any trouble cashing a check. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy was a WTVA 9 News evening anchor back in 1992, and she remembers the Leochi case very well. She was a beautiful little girl, you know, 13 years old, and she lived, you know, just right down the street. Tupelo's a small town, um, and it scared everyone. You know, anchors, especially local news anchors, and especially as far back as 1992, were expected to remain impartial, to avoid revealing their own opinions or feelings. Thing is, Kathy Shapiro is not a news anchor anymore. I remember that there was a lot of difficulty um, getting information from her family, from her mother in particular. At the time that this happened, um, I was a, a young woman. I was not a mother. But to me, um, it, Vicki Yarborough's complete lack of emotion was um, very strange. Um, I knew that, you know, she had been in the military. Um, uh, she'd been married a couple of times, but she just, when when um, when we talked to her, there just wasn't, didn't seem to be any um, emotion, um, the hysteria that you would expect from a parent who's lost a 13-year-old girl. The outpouring has been fantastic. Uh, we, the family and friends greatly appreciate everything, everybody that's come out here to help us search. Uh, it's been amazing what the community has done to pull together for Lee. There's not, I can't say enough how much we all thank everybody for doing this. People that I talked to were also suspicious of that and also picked up on that. And then it came out later, I think, that she uh, failed a lie detector test. Of course, those contraptions are officially called polygraph tests rather than lie detectors because they don't always work. But, uh, yeah. Vicky failed three of them. When I talked to Kathy, at one point she said, hey, just take a step back and look at this thing with some objectivity. Does it make sense? It was very strange that morning because I think, I think that she, she left for work and then she came back home like an hour later and, and her daughter, somehow her daughter had gone missing in less than an hour, missing without a trace. They always say in in a disappearance or a murder that you first look to the family, and I think everyone in the community was first looking at the mother. Kathy confirmed for me a lot of what I had already been hearing about Vicki. I remember also that, um, that there were some people who came forward and said that she had a temper. Also said, and that this was most disturbing to me, that Lee had shown up at school on occasion with, um, with black eyes and bruises. Vicki Yarborough needs to talk and tell the truth. Kathy isn't the only one who feels this way. 
you'll hear the same thing from many who knew Lee and knew the family. So what does Vicki have to say for herself? She's quiet now, but not too long after her daughter vanished, Vicki, who seemed herself to be the number one candidate, said she had figured out who took Lee. She said that the man who had access to her 13-year-old girl, who had a disgusting history of assaulting girls around that age, was right there under her nose all along. And she could even tell police where to find him next time on 13. I have what you might call a retraction or an amendment to the first episode. After that episode dropped, I was contacted by the producer of the other Leochi podcast that I mentioned in that episode. He was reaching out to assure me that the decision to do a serialized podcast on this topic was not inspired by my own. I can accept that, and I appreciate the communication. And at the end of the day, I think it just speaks to the compelling nature of the Leochi story. Hey, if you like this podcast, please give us a review or rating on iTunes. You know what? Subscribe. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon.